This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. To Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 5, Episode 4, SeaTac. And uh, we don't have any new announcements, but we do have a gentle reminder. We released our first bonus episode of the series uh, over the weekend. Uh, it is the first part of the story of how Kashmir came to split with the team and everything that happened during the time jump. Uh, so uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. There's some Great stuff that goes on, and uh, it's a, a little bit more of Roman Mylan as Kashmir. Uh, yeah, so all you Kashmir fans out there, um, you can go uh, listen to that bonus episode, get your fix, and keep an eye out. We're going to try and turn out these bonus episodes revolving around the time jump pretty early in the series so that you guys can get that story, because we know you want it. <laughs> uh, and with that, let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM Hello. is about Series 5, Episode 3, Closing Time. Uh, yeah, the uh, attack on a Bunraku parlor run by the Yakuza. Uh, pretty much, you know, all combat, but a little bit. There's like 20 minutes of like, you know, the suspense leading up to the, the fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, also when I was being hacked, but whatever. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that was actually kind of miraculous that that happened um, because I, I don't remember if it's if it makes it into this episode or not, if we ever actually identified the deck that that guy was using, but you collected it. Mm-hmm. And and it's 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 not a better deck than yours. No. It's actually one step down from your deck. Yes. It was... <laughs> insane that that dude managed to actually get three more first off avoid being detected by mouse and then on top of that get three marks on her without her noticing <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's, it's one of those situations when, when you're GMing that, uh, you, you have to decide whether or not you're going to pull the punch. Um, because what happened there was you guys were trying to decide what to do. Um, and I wanted to get the, the story moving. So I was like, well, how can I do that? You know, usually, usually when the players are waffling, one of the like quintessential GM tricks is make something happen so that they have to make a decision. Um, and, uh, so I was like, well, you guys are kind of in the neighborhood and the, their hacker is actively looking for any new signatures in the, in the matrix. So like I'll roll a perception test for him, a matrix perception test, because ultimately if you just roll some dice behind the screen, that usually gets the players like, okay, we, there's a timer, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I, I rolled and he rolled really well and I rolled your resist and you rolled very poorly. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. Wow. He saw them. Awesome. Uh, I was like, oh, I'll have him try to get a mark on you guys because he's probably going to fail. And then Mouse will realize that, you know, you guys have at least been spotted and the dude's trying to get marks on you. And again, the dice just really, really like spectacularly went in his favor and you just like whiffed completely. And uh, that's when I had to make the decision as a GM, whether or not I was going to continue letting this guy uh, hack you secretly and then potentially like fuck your shit up. Um, or if I wanted to pull the punch and just like, 
you know, go, go make the narrative decision instead of the dice based decision. And at least for me, a lot of things go into the decision whether or not I want to fudge my roles, uh, in favor of the players or also in, in, uh, against the players. Um, and, uh, in this case it was, you know, one thing that always goes into it is like player temperament. Uh, it was something unfortunate happening to you. And I know you have a good enough temperament for stuff like that, that like you wouldn't feel like you were being cheated, uh, necessarily. Um, you, you know, you can roll with the punches. Yeah. Though I do roll dice better than you do. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't just tell you that you were being hacked and that you needed to roll resist. <laughs> I had to roll behind the screen. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, so player temperament came into play. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, you, I had to think a little bit further down the line. It's like, yeah, sure. This guy gets three marks on you. What's the worst that happens? It doesn't actually end the plan because, like, worst case scenario, that dude gets the three marks, he shows up, he, like, bashes you so hard that your deck just explodes, and then I guess you run in and sword punch people. <laughs> yeah, I take I take six physical damage uh, from being jacked out, and then... Uh... You pop some kamikaze because you have kamikaze, and then you run in with Boomer just stabbing people or yeah, something. Probably would have died. <laughs> like you weren't completely out of options if yeah. your deck got bricked. And it was like it was uh it was kind of a miraculous uh thing that I wanted to like let happen. Like what are the chances that like mouse actually gets bested like that? It it shouldn't have happened. And the dice just made it happen. And and I and I thought it would be interesting. Um and and that is the key word there. You know, you always want to make something interesting happen, but you got to be careful as a GM because sometimes what you think is interesting is not interesting for the players. And, uh, a lot of times you can, you can kind of like wear your players down if you're constantly not pulling your punches and like really, really like beating them every chance you get. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a fine line between, uh, for a GM of, a GM of every system, um, to balance that line of player apathy and player, uh, fatigue. Um, if you're too easy on them, they're not going to make the interesting choices because they're not afraid of what's going to happen. Um, but if you, uh, go too hard on them, they don't want to make any decisions because every decision they make is going to be the wrong one. Um, or at least they'll feel that way. So it, it is a, it is a delicate balance and it's sort of like, um, you know, kind of a, a pretty much for me. And I think we've talked about this before you too, um, is that it's like a scale. Um, you know, if you're going to go easy on a couple of things, you go harder on another couple of things, maybe in the next scene. Right. You got to balance the scales. If you give them some gimmies, you got to make sure you like let something bad happen to them later. Make them earn their victories. Yeah, because then the victory is definitely sweeter for the players and for you as a GM too. Uh, it lets you tell an interesting story for everyone that way. Yeah. And on the flip side, actually, I, I kind of almost balance the scales in this same scene uh, in that like, I let this dude get the marks on you. I let him listen into your guy's plan to send a fake Takeo in. But then immediately after that, I let Boomer roll a perception test to notice the troll getting in position to shoot Nim. Boomer whiffed on his perception test. And so I, I, I pulled a punch there and I gave you guys another opportunity to notice. I sat there for a second. I was like, uh, mouse and bumbles, go ahead. And you're looking through the camera feed. Go ahead and, uh, you know. 
roll a perception test and see what you notice. And then I was like, oh, thank God, Mouse got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nim, you get a chance to dodge now because Mouse noticed the troll. Uh, yeah, so uh, we want to ask you, the listeners, uh, go to our Facebook and comment on this uh, episode. Um, we want to know uh, when was the time that you were playing and the GM uh, didn't pull a punch, uh, whether you were the GM or you were a player in the game. Uh, and how did that work out? Uh, did uh, did everyone think it was like a cool, fun, challenging uh, moment where like they were really put on the ropes? Or did the players want the GM's head? <laughs> uh, share your stories and maybe we'll share some of ours but uh that's enough chatter for that or that's enough words with the gym i think let's move on into favorite parts uh what was your favorite part uh i actually really enjoyed the um the troll uh, archer he was very smart which i really like in an npc especially when he used the illusion of uh looking like he was like there leaning up against the wall so bumbles would shoot at the illusion rather than him and maybe he could have time to heal and then like maybe take out a swarm or run away or or something along those lines um so for me i i like to see smart npcs uh because it makes me feel like i have to up my game too and it's like a challenge uh yeah that's a fun thing about shadowrun being able to play like hyper intelligent enemies uh especially when you're up against like an opposing shadowrunning team or something but what about you what was your favorite part uh, my favorite part, um, revolves around Boomer, actually. Um, uh, I, I, it's on a larger scope as a GM though. Um, basically going into this entire campaign, uh, I was kind of sweating it a little bit because, um, you guys, uh, have pretty much stepped up a significant amount, uh, a significant power level. And like I, we've talked before about balancing games and how that can be very difficult in a game where like what the street samurai has access to mill spec heart or hardened mill spec armor and the rigor has a swarm with a gauss rifle. You know, I knew that I needed to step my game up and make these, uh, these challenges you guys are up against, uh, much, much harder. Um, but I was really afraid that I was going to overcompensate. And so this job, uh, functioned both in game and out of game as kind of a test run for your characters. Uh, it was a way for, uh, for you guys to kind of work together. Um, as well as for me to kind of, uh, take what I, I think is the, the current power level of the game and step it down just a little notch, uh, and see how you guys fare against it. This was kind of my way to see like how much I could throw a boomer <laughs> and not kill him so that next time I can just step it up a little bit and actually put him in danger. And so uh, seeing boomer shrug it off but still take like a couple points of damage, that was like exactly the power level I wanted that to be at. Um, and so I think I have a pretty good feel for it so I can uh, raise the stakes in future jobs. That's not ominous at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And uh, and with that, I think we uh, we should move into this next episode, uh, where I'm sure the stakes are considerably raised. Uh, so let's move on in and listen to series five, episode four, SeaTac. Enjoy. It started how it always starts: new team, new Johnson, new job. Except this time, it was different. First, the runners. You got Mouse, tiny sweet girl. More than a little funny in the head. But that doesn't matter much, considering she's the best fragging Decca I've ever seen. Then there's Kashmir. About as green as they come. Clearly out of his element. 
But when the cards were down, that boy proved to be one hell of a mage. Then you have Bumbles. Elf. Dryad. Uh, eccentric. If you're being polite, you command an entire arsenal of drones with enough firepower to level a whole fragment city block. He's the kind of runner you hope you don't need on a job. But if you do, you're fragging glad to have him around. Then there's me, a big red oni named Boomer. My specialty is sneaking in, geeking anyone in the way, and, as the leader of the group, keeping those three in line. Next, the Johnson. On the surface, sounds pretty straightforward. Next runner called Pretty B. Fell off the grid a few years back, but I didn't ask why. I'm a professional. Not a line of work, people are entitled to the secrets. Weird thing was, he was paying his hand over fist to help people. Had his clearing out ghouls from the sewers and redmen, for frag's sake. Like I said, weird. But it's not often you get a line of jobs with a little bit of honor in them. So I was on board from day one. After a while, we earned Brins, I mean Pretty B's, trust. And he let us meet his employer, Lawrence Whitmore. Mr. Whitmore was the last genuine anti-establishment businessman, according to my friend Doc. Publicly, Mr. Whitmore had retired a long time ago when he was, like, really young. But he didn't really. It was all a ruse. And in secret, he started shadow running against the corporations. When he got too old to keep running, he switched to being a Johnson and hired a team of runners to continue the work he started. But not us. We come way later. The runners he hired back then were Bryn's team. Bryn his sister Enna, an elf named Lariel, and an adept named Jason Black. Bryn told us that all of them had died a long time ago, and that's why Mr. Whitmore was looking for a new team. And that's when he found us. We could continue his mission to protect those who couldn't protect themselves, especially from the corporations. I learned from Doc that when you have the chance to do something good for somebody else, you should do it. So, of course, I agreed to help. Unfortunately, no good deed goes unpunished, and no organization rises without inspiring a rival. Havoc 66 arose as a dark mirror to Whitmore and Bren's work, led by a madman called Hellion. It didn't take long before Hellion found out about us, and we learned that there was quite a lot that Whitmore wasn't telling us. Like that Hellion was actually the not-so-dead Jason Black the very one that used to run with Bryn. Hellion had turned on his old team, slaughtering them as he defected from Whitmore's cause, which we would learn much later was because he wasn't just operating alone. See, the funny thing about magic is, those of us who are able to harness it are as much under its influence as it is under ours. Hellion had gotten into bed with the wrong kind of spirit, a toxic one. Uh, the spirit drove him mad, uh, desiring only destruction. It took Whitmore's anti-corporation agenda and uh, perverted it, uh, causing Hellion to see violence as the only solution. But before we had a chance to prepare for the coming onslaught, Hellion made his move against the corpse and Whitmore. He broke into the estate and murdered Whitmore right in front of us. Then he stole Whitmore's personal shuttle, blasting off into space. See, Hellion had set into motion a series of events that gave him the opportunity to hit the corporations where it would hurt them the most. Now the thing about AAA Corps is they're much too big to take down. That said, 
they did put quite a few of their eggs in one basket, Zurich Orbital Station. The station is, was, a seat of power for the AAAs. The Matrix, their bank, and even the corporate court was housed there. Like I said, a lot of eggs in one nice mid-sized space basket. Hellion's plan was to take over the station and crash it on Seattle. Not quite an extinction level event, but certainly a global catastrophe. Naturally, the only reasonable thing for us to do was follow him up into space and stop him. Which we did! Sort of. We definitely took Hellion out, just not before he had done enough damage to the station to send it careening earthward. But with a little help from Mouse, we managed to make the whole space station rigor interface. That's right, for a few glorious minutes, I was a space station. While rigged in, I had to break poor Zurich Orbital apart. It fell into the ocean in little bitty pieces, causing basically no damage at all. And we became global heroes. Except no one knows, because we're Shadowrunners, and the corpse would love to pin this on us. So we decided to lay low, in Whitmore's mansion. It was the only sensible choice. That's where we've been since then, keeping our heads down while Bryn lines up the next job. And that's where I come in. This crusade Whitmore started is more than just a mission. It's my legacy. My name is Nim, and Lawrence Whitmore was my father. Whitmore sacrificed everything for his crusade against the corpse, including his relationship with my mother, L'Oreal. I never understood how he could just neglect us for his greater purpose. When I was old enough to join his team, he didn't offer, and I didn't ask. Some people would consider that a lucky break for me if they knew what happened next. When Jason Black murdered my mother, I faked my death and fled overseas. And it wasn't even hard considering my ability to magically impersonate literally anyone I meet. I needed to start a new life as someone else, to get away from him and, well, everything. I never understood how important my father's mission was until after he died. And then it was too late. It wasn't really a decision to come back to Seattle. It was something else, an, an imperative. I have to try to make things right in whatever way I can. I returned to the manor and met Brim's new team. And apparently the mage they've been running with, this Kashmir guy, ended up just like Jason. He turned toxic, betrayed his team, and ran away. I can understand why they've had some trouble trusting me. It took me this long to start letting people back into my life after a toxic mage tore it apart. Hopefully, they're not as slow on the uptake. The last time we left our team, uh, they had acquired a new member, a woman by the name of Nim, who is the daughter of L'Oreal Silverstein and Lawrence Whitmore. Um, she joined the team and uh, Bryn sent them on a mission to get them uh, to get to know each other a little bit. You know, a lighthearted mission that involved a Boonraku parlor. <laughs> uh, they went up against the Yakuza. They... Uh, saved six women from the fate of being Boonraku sex slaves and uh, blew up the building uh, that was going to be a Boonraku parlor. They then took the six women to Doc's clinic in the Orc Underground to have their persona fixes removed. And um, 
were paid pretty handsomely, especially given the fact that Boomer rejected his payment. And and so uh, Mouse and uh, Bumbles and Nim made a little extra on that. Though, uh, Nim, uh, I believe you uh, you give a bunch of your money away to the, to the women before they leave. Yeah, I wanted to make sure they were okay. Set up. Yeah. Basically, uh, a week passes before anything particularly interesting happens. Is there anything anyone wants to achieve in that uh, in that time frame? Um, I'm going to try and sell the deck I found or get somebody else to sell it for me. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, Bryn can help facilitate that sale on the black market. He has his connections. Um, you can get 100K for it. Cool. I guess I'll give that to everybody. Not, I guess I'll keep some. Okay. How much, what's this distribution looking like? I don't know. Evensies? <laughs> but is Boomer going to take any? No, no, no. You need to keep it so you can upgrade your gear. Part of being a Deca. Okay. <laughs> so divided by three. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, we'll just call it... 33000 33, for Bumbles and 33000 for Nim. And then, uh, Mouse, you can have 34000 Other than that, I don't think I have anything. I guess I'm just going to hang out and help if I can. Uh, anyone else trying to achieve anything in that week? I'm going to start growing a beard. <laughs> okay. Uh, you don't have that weird in-between phase where, like, you're, like, obviously starting to grow a beard. You basically go straight from, like, sexy 5 o'clock shadow to, like, perfectly cropped beard. You know, I've, I've got a lot of those. If you want to do, like, a Fu Manchu or, <laughs> you know, like a cop mustache, I've got a couple. You want to try some out? No, I think, I think this is good. Yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> So, uh, uh, Nim, Boomer, either of you uh, achieving anything? No. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Boomer continues his normal training regimen. Nim's just going to get used to Seattle again, get kind of settled back in. Sure, sure. Out of all of the team, uh, Bryn is most comfortable with you going out. He he has everyone else like check in and make sure they keep tabs when they're out there because, you know, all of the risks involved, but... Given your particular set of skills, he's pretty sure that you uh, <laughs> that you can just go out whenever you want. Not a problem. Uh, in fact, I imagine some of the team uh, probably gives you things to pick up while you're out there because it's so easy for you to just go out in the city without without any risk. <laughs> oh, can you pick up some data taps for me? <laughs> sure. Okay. How many do you want? Uh, a, a bag. Okay. Can you bring me some tacos? Boomer, do you want you want Flacco's tacos or do you want velvet taco? Oh, that's a tough one. Just whatever's on the way. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, after about a week, uh, Bryn does call all of you down to the hub. Uh, he says uh, uh, he's he's made a little bit of a breakthrough on the legwork he was doing for Isaac Boonin. Cool. So uh, I'm feeling a little better about this lead uh, for Isaac Boonin. Uh, as you may recall, um, Isaac Boonin uh, is an Evo scientist who went missing uh, several months back. Um, and now, so much time later, the uh, the word in the shadow community is that uh, his, his case is not just a typical missing persons case. Uh, he actually was exfiltrated uh, from Evo. 
um, by uh, some coyotes. Now, uh, obviously, it's a pretty thin lead because we don't know why he wanted to leave. We don't know if he has any information that's useful to us. Um, But uh, I'm feeling a little more comfortable about this um, because I looked into it a little more and uh, I, I found that the flight that Bunin was supposed to uh, be on uh, had some unscheduled maintenance happen just before he was supposed to board. And then it was delayed when he didn't board. And then it had unscheduled maintenance again right before it took off. And the records of who performed that maintenance and what they did is very, very obviously tampered with and fabricated. So... From the outside, this looks like maybe Evo had a hit on Boonin, and he knew it was coming, and he didn't get on the plane. At least that's the narrative I'm working with now. But his trail goes cold. Whoever, whoever exfiltrated him or whoever kidnapped him, we don't know, um, they covered their tracks pretty well. Um, and that brings us to the job that I need you for to go on. And uh, he presses a couple buttons, and the hub screens uh, all change to images of the Seattle-Tacoma airport. I need you four to break into the airport and get your hands on the security footage so we can see what happened to Bunin. All right. Sounds easy enough. What? That sounds really hard. (laughs) Well, it's just an airport. Well, you know, they're supposed to be scary and stuff. Uh, the, the security Only during the holidays, am I right? <laughs> I don't know. Are they? <laughs> no, they're not mouse. They're not scary. They're just people. Airport. Mm, nope, that's not right. <laughs> Bryn, you're a legitimate person who's known to have money based on wills and Whitmore's passing. Charter a private jet. We'll fly in. That gets us past a large portion of security. Yeah. I mean, that seems entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. If that. What, if you want that to be your point of ingress, far be it from me to tell you otherwise. Um, but I did do uh, some uh, some more research on the um, on the security of the of the of the area. First off, all the footage at SeaTac uh, is recorded in duplicate. One goes into the live feed uh, and into that security terminal's hard drive. Um, which is easily accessed and manipulated, um, and then permanently wiped and formatted every few months. Now, below the airport, there is a data vault. The system below is hardlined and automated. Um, I say hardlined, but that is not a continuous connection. In fact, it, uh, it connects intermittently to download footage from the, uh, uh, download footage from a separate hard drive, which is harder to reach and manipulate and bring that footage into the data vault, severing the connection, making a wired storage below the, the airport. The data vault can only be accessed by, uh, by the administrator level. Uh, and he presses a couple uh, buttons and um, basically kind of like a, a more detailed layout of the structure of the Seattle-Tacoma airport pops up. Uh, you see that uh, uh, people who are arriving to uh, get on planes and depart, uh, they drive up a ramp 
to the upper levels of of the airport. Um, and they go through security there, and then they go to their terminals, get on the planes, and go. Um, whereas people who uh, who arrive uh, go down to the lower levels, and uh, that's where their baggage claim is, and so on. And they and they exit underneath that ramp. Um, and in between, there is actually an administrator level uh, between the the ground, the upper level, and the and the lower level. Um, and uh, in the administrator level, there is a red clearance corridor that only people with specific security clearance can enter. The logistical level there in the administrator area um, houses uh, the security terminal and the staffing quarters. Uh, the security terminal is where the uh, where most of the, uh, the security gear um, and the live feed goes. And... Both the administrator level and the data vault are protected by Faraday cages. Guards patrol the area, um, both on the upper and lower levels. Um, uh, so do various drones. Uh, facial recognition scanners are programmed into most of the drones and all of the cameras. Uh, so those are just constantly going. And... Uh, on the administrative level, there are several safeguards in line uh, that limit employee access. Um, this access is split into four tiers, and most uh, entry points are controlled by a simultaneous keycard entry and retinal scan. The lowest tier is for customer service. Um, they have access to the logistical level's most basic areas. The Next tier up is for flight staff and tarmac crew. Um, they have access to the administrator level's recreational areas, um, as well as all of the tarmac access points. Um, then uh, the next tier up is uh, for general security and upper management. Uh, they have access to the security suite, as well as the armory. Uh, and finally, you have the administrative access, which is access to everywhere, including, uh, or most importantly, including red clearance level areas and the uh, data vault. Um, that hallway, the red, the red clearance hallway, uh, can only be accessed by a key card and retinal scan that matches administrator privileges. You go into that hallway, you get on the elevator, you go down to the data vault. I'm not 100% sure what the lineup is down there. Um, I definitely know, uh, that it's automated, so they probably don't have much staff, though I can imagine that there will be, uh, some live security as well as, um, I'm pretty sure at least a few of the Ares Arms Sentry 5, uh, a model of drone that, uh, that operates on a, on a track, uh, on the ceiling, uh, basically a mobile gun turret. Cool. There you go, Bumbles next project we do this we can get on bunin's trail and hopefully uh even if he doesn't have information regarding the uh cloning program uh that mouse was a part of uh he can at the very least uh give us some insight to evo's inner workings and possibly give us another angle to to work at but the only way we're going to find him is if we see that unaltered footage so it still seems like we've got better access off the tarmac than walking in the front door, right? Um, yeah, especially if you get at, at least start with tier three access. Uh, you can 
use flight staff and tarmac crew level privileges to uh, use those entry points that will lead you directly to the uh, administrator level. That seems worthwhile then. Yeah. Who who runs the airport? SeaTac is um, is owned by by UCAS. It's a government facility. Um, however, its security in recent years has been ramped up significantly, uh, especially following the Havoc sixty six uh, debacle. Um, uh, so most of the security is corporate. Almost every uh, AAA corporation actually contributes to the security of SeaTac. So with the administrator. Is that one person, or is that uh, a staff, or is that just sort of a list we could conceivably hack our way onto? I don't know about conceivably hacking your way onto it, but there's definitely more than one administrator. Are there public records of that, if, if, if it's a government job? Not that I, not that I could find. Hmm. Uh, most of the details revolving around the administrator level uh, and the logistical suite, I had to uh, crack a few... Uh, encryptions to get at. Most of the public uh, knowledge is simply the layout of the upper level and the path in which the public is supposed to uh, proceed on the lower levels, and that there is an administrator level in between, but none of the specifics. My other question is, is there any single corporation that is more of a major contributor to security than any other like are they equal shareholders in it uh they're they're almost all equal though most of the actual on-site security is more aries uh given the fact that that's kind of aries specialty i there's two i had two thoughts but if other people have thoughts then that might be better but i was thinking so if we pretended that we went in as like inspection for like the FAA, then we would be like, we need to see your stuff. And then they'd be like, oh no, we're so afraid. <laughs> or, or we could, um, Bumbles knows how to fly a plane. So we could just f- fly in and n- yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think if we do that inspection, we do it as people from Aries coming in. Um, wouldn't that, I think that would mean like breaking into Aries and. Right. So I know admittedly very little about the matrix and what you can do with it. I assume it's like, just who knows? Um, (laughs) does anyone more versed in it know of a way we could perhaps try and get information on who's that on that administrative list? Because. If we can kidnap that person from their home, which is surely much less secure than SeaTac, um, Nim can just be them. We can land a plane. Nim can, like, suck up all his face or whatever it is you do. Exactly that. And um, What? Can just... I, no, it was, sorry, that was a joke. Was, <laughs> no, don't worry about it. And then we just walk in. Well, wouldn't it just be that, sh- that she walks in? Right, that was more of the royal we. But there's Faraday cages. I, I can't hack from the outside unless you're going to drill a hole through the walls. But we don't need to hack anything necessarily if she's got all of his clearance. We just need to download it. I can also convince them that you're with me and you're supposed to come in with me. Right. I guess just my job. point was if we can find the guy, Nim can be him or her. And that helps. Um, yeah, uh, they tend to keep that stuff 
on site. So we would either have to go to one of the corps who was contracting and pull their employee records and who's assigned to that security detail, or we would have to break into a government facility, which I'm not sure where that would be, um, and look at their administrative list there. I mean, we could look for like, we could also look like for financial data and like go from that direction, but we'd have to figure out what bank SeaTac uses, or um, we could go on site and hack a terminal there. I don't think there's a way where we don't have to go someplace to find it. I don't think if Bryn couldn't find it in public records, I don't think that I could. Yeah, it's possible uh, tapping into uh, a government or corp f- host uh, either by getting access by being on site. Uh, you could find out more than what I could. I just figured out what I could from the hub. Yeah. So I think regardless, we're all going to the airport. The thing about that is that there's the cameras and all of it's recorded, so it, it, it can't just be a data poll. I would also have to edit the footage as well of us so we're not there. Um, so unless Nim's going in by herself um, as that person... That's the only way that we all don't have to, that I won't have to hack it once it's, once we're through. If I, if I went in by myself on a charter jet, could I use a data tap to get you in to the system? Not through a Faraday cage. Hmm. You said it's an intermittent connection though. So either the Faraday cage turns off periodically or there's a physical connection, which goes out of the Faraday cage, which we can potentially... Yeah, what I've extrapolated from what I was able to find out was that, uh, like I said, the cameras record in duplicate onto two separate hard drives, one of which is easy to access and and feeds into the live feed. Another one is harder to access. I'm not exactly sure where. Um, Probably, like, under layers of actual just, like, physical walls um, with no access panel. Um, and, uh, that hard drive intermittently gets a hard line connection through the Faraday cage into the data vault, uh, that connects instantly downloads everything on it, wipes it and disconnects and pulls that, uh, that information down into the data vault, storing it on a hard drive down there. That, so we have to go to and get stuff off the data vault, but if we don't want them to see that we, us there... We also have to manipulate the cameras that are currently recording, um, and that backup will eventually go into the data vault as well, unless we can delete it. Now, I could write, I could write a software, maybe like a virus, to delete all of our faces or change them. I could probably do that, but that would still have to be put into the security mainframe into both of them. Um, which would mean that we would have to figure out the, where the input is. If the virus went into the upper mainframe, wouldn't it get pulled down with the footage? I don't know. Uh, it's it's separate. Uh, I, it's probably separate. The 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 feeds. But if it's taking data, if it's taking the the data of the camera feeds. We could have the virus be in the camera feeds, and then it would go down to the mainframe. If you manage to live edit the camera feeds, mm-hmm. uh, you would that that edited live footage would make it down into the data vault. Okay, 
because they're being if if you hack the cameras themselves, then uh, and change the the live footage of the cameras, which is difficult but not impossible. Um, then you can then that altered footage gets stored in the data vault. Okay. Right, but if we do that, that doesn't get us what we need from the vault. Yeah, I think there's two parts. There's the part where we protect ourselves from them figuring out who we are, and then there's the part where we go down and actually get the data. And I don't know how we do that exactly. I think there's I think there's two options, right? We either go to the airport twice, and we go the first time and find out who the administrators are, um, and then we come back and we, we find one of them and we, you know, knock them out and, and go back in as them. Or we go there once and find an, an administrator and find a, a quiet corner um, and then continue on from there, which, you know, the first one's a little safer, just takes a little longer. Also, whatever company I use to charter a private flight landing in SeaTac um, will have flight staff and tarmac crew level clearance, which does mean that if you guys are able to replicate them in, in any way or, or get a, get their, uh, uh, their security, you can get onto the administrator level at least to have a look. It doesn't get you into the red level areas, but it can get you onto, onto, the, uh, onto the floor at least and into the recreational areas. You get to fly a plane. Cool. I haven't flown a plane in a while. I've flown a car more than I've flown a plane recently. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Boomer? I'm still thinking. Everything so far sounds pretty good. So what if Bryn charters a flight, we grab the flight crew and replace them with ourselves, Uh, me and Boomer go on to the administrative level, have a look-see, you know, take a peek, find out what's going on there, uh, and then... With that information and recon, then Nim can go in without having been there a second time. I don't know. Well, Nim can go in with you guys, too, because they won't recognize you, right? Because rutabaga? Yeah, I could rutabaga. (laughs) We do need a retinal scan to get on to the administrator level, though, correct? Yes, uh, you would need need to use your abilities to, uh, to replicate that from whatever crew you are replacing. Um, I'll also point out that one of the main reasons I don't have more information is because I can't hack from the outside of the Faraday cage. Um, if you, the three of you, Nim, Bumbles, and Boomer, go onto the administrative level and any amount of that legwork requires hacking, not having mouse around might pose a problem. This is great! We get to do disguises for everyone! Okay. This seems like the best plan, then, what we've come up with now. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm, Bumbles. Well, if we got the data, a data tap inside the Faraday cage and then ran some sort of connection out outside. I mean, right. yeah, the, it's possible. It's easier said than done. Uh, the reason that worked at uh, the gala was because there were hard lines we were piggybacking on. Exactly. I think you guys would have to, like, or we would have to be a construction crew and literally drill a hole through the wall and then put metalings on the other side, which I don't hate, <laughs> but isn't great also. I think we just, we just go down into the data vault and hope there's no acid. <laughs> what? 
Um, okay, yeah, no, I don't think there will be acid. That seems like a bad idea around computers. Um, it's not a very good idea around people either. Well, I mean, it was effective when they did it against you. Right, so I guess Bryn charters the jet now, and we... Yeah, I'm looking into it already, Bubbles. <laughs> get ready to clonk some people on the dome and take their identities. Yay! I can do the clonking. Good, good, good. I put mustaches on everyone, including Bumbles. Over his mustache. Over his beard. I Can I rate that um, virus to um, replace our faces with faces of others? Um, the burnout? best thing you could do there, if you wanted to make it automated, was to put would be to put an agent on it. Because then the agent would be using the edit file action. Yeah, I'm going to write that program in case I need it. You're going to write an agent? Okay, what rating agent do you want to write? When are we doing this? <laughs> so it might take me a little while to write this, but I can write it as like quickly as I need to. So when did you guys want to go? Like tomorrow? I think it makes more sense for us to go when you're done. Yeah, yeah I mean, we can work on disguises in the meantime. Bryn's finger is like above a button in his AR, and he goes, so don't charter the jet quite yet. I don't yeah, know, you're very rich. Uh, just let me know when you guys want to uh, uh, arrive. Now, do you want me to have it depart from SeaTac, or do you want to arrive at SeaTac? You want to arrive. You I think we want to arrive at SeaTac, okay. so we don't have to go through security. That makes sense, yeah. So we're going to have to go somewhere else. Uh, I, I can... I can make it work. Uh, you guys can go off of a private strip in Snohomish, and then I can uh, I can change the origin dates for uh, or the the origin info uh, when you guys are arriving. Okay. So it doesn't seem like you just departed from Seattle and landed in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, let's see how long it it takes me to write this, and you guys can get ready and um. And do your disguises and figure out a way to bring our gear as well. Well, the best thing about private jets is that uh, they just kind of let you bring whatever you want because you're paying them a lot of money. That's tr- that that makes sense. But also, I don't think they let like guns and stuff on. Well, we're sort of hitting them on the head and replacing them anyways. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and write this. Uh, you want to write what rating? Six. Right, a rating six agent? Yeah. All right, I'm going to need you to roll a software for me. Okay. Um, that's five hits. All right. Uh, you have to continue until you get 18 hits. Every time you roll is an hour. Oh. Oh. That's fine. Uh, is anyone else looking up any or doing anything? Uh, setting up some disguises? Is that? Oh yeah, I've got you know a chair, <laughs> some mirrors. I'm putting different mustaches on Boomer. Well, how about how about this one? Uh, how do you feel about mutton chops? Actually, I could probably pull that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look great. All right, now I need you to make me blue. <laughs> Look, we we come in two colors. I'm already one of them. It's five rolls, and I hit twenty-four. Uh, yeah. Um, since you have a rating six agent already, you're able to duplicate a lot of that code. 
Um, and within five hours, you have a, another rating six agent at your disposal. Cool. Anyone else doing anything, or should we roll some disguise rolls? Uh, when do you guys want to undertake this mission? Uh, Brain's ready to charter a jet whenever. Do we mm-hmm. want to go in the evening when there's fewer people flying? All yeah, the fewer what... people at night? There's like rush and, and lulls. Yeah, I'd say there's like a period in the middle of the night where it's like, you know, like the red eyes, like those kind of flights where there's less hustle and bustle. Does fewer people make it easier for them to spot us on the cameras? Like, wouldn't that help? Or does does that matter with your program? She has a point. Showing up in the middle of uh, rush hour might actually be uh, the easiest way to go around unnoticed. Uh, I imagine they don't have less security at the times when there are fewer people. When there's less people, there's more people looking at us with guns. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, we'll go tomorrow during, like, a 10. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'll charter the jet. Minute passes and you all get uh, tickets under the fake ID of your choice for a flight departing uh, in the morning tomorrow from uh, a private airstrip in Snohomish uh, using Jackalope Aviation Unlimited. Anything else anyone wants to achieve? I know uh, Nim's going to make some disguises. Is there anything else before that? I don't have anything else. I'll pack my (laughs) (laughs) carry-on. Uh, all right, um, Nim, uh, let's go ahead and just do a broad stroke uh, disguise roll. Um, you have all night to work on this, so I will give you a plus five. Just roll one disguise roll for everybody. That's eight hits. Okay. You all very, very disguised. <laughs> Holy jerk, I look human. <laughs> Not that disguised. But you might just look like an orc if you're wearing a hat. We've been fools, Boomer, thinking in terms of red and blue. We could have made you tan the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as long as you're wearing a hat, Boomer, you don't look like an Oni to a quick glance. Should I wear the fancy hat with my suit or the trucker cap with my normal attire? Definitely the fancy hat. Dress for success. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you guys, the next morning then, uh, get all your stuff together and you drive up to Snohomish. I drive us past the, the, the scorch mark. That's my favorite. <laughs> uh, Bumbles takes a little bit of a detour, a uh, scenic route uh, that no one else notices anything, but he notices a scorch mark on the side of the road that uh, marks his arrival to Seattle. <laughs> oh, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is just not growing back there. It's been months. <laughs> As you guys are uh, pulling up, the, uh, the rain isn't necessarily uh, super heavy, um, but it is like a... It is like a, a constant downpour not so much a sprinkle uh and you step out and you hear you smell like the vinegar of like the acid rain um as you uh as you enter the private air airfield and you see uh your jet waiting for you uh a stewardess and uh and the uh pilot are standing there uh with the uh the steps into the jet down next to them they're waiting for you guys they have uh, umbrellas and when they see you pull up uh the uh stewardess rushes up with like a bundle of umbrellas, basically, uh, to hand to you guys when you when you are getting out, so that you can walk from the car to the uh, uh, plane, not getting drenched. Oh, thank you, dear. Very uh, kind indeed, Misters Smith and Travers and Mrs. Juan and Phillips, I presume. Yes, that's us. That is us, and I. So for this portion of the job, I have set up. 
a private text channel to Mouse where I just sent her texts of what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Say yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, well, right this way, we're uh, ready to depart. Uh, ghastly weather. And she flashes you guys a smile and hands you all umbrellas so that you can uh, start uh, making your way towards the uh, plane. And we make our way towards the plane. Boomer obviously trying to hide his accent. <laughs> so I guess text to Boomer. Um, we do need to knock them out before we take off, because all of my weapons are very conspicuous. <laughs> Boomer sends a winky emote. <laughs> cool. Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, you get up to the captain. Uh, she reaches out a hand to shake each of your hands, uh, and she says, um, Hello, I'm Captain uh, Morton. I'll be your pilot for, uh, for this afternoon. Uh, let's get you guys out of this rain, huh? Yes, indeed. Right, you know, I've actually, I just remembered, I forgot something rather important in the car. One moment, and I go back to the car. Oh, okay. Uh, Naomi, uh, could you uh, uh, help Travers with his, uh, Mr. Travers with his uh, luggage? Uh, the rest of you, follow me aboard. And the captain moves up the stairs, uh, and the stewardess follows you, uh, Bumbles. Wonderful, thanks. I, I will board the plane. I, have a I also board the plane. And take note of how many staff members there are. Uh, you get up there, you see the uh, the um, pilot's cabin is open. There is a co-pilot sitting there. Um, and uh, there is one other uh, stewardess. So four in total. Are there com- like rooms on the plane? Is there a-, a back room that a stewardess might go to, like a kitchen? Yes. We don't know that stewardess's name yet, do we? Uh, the one that you don't know the one yeah. who's aboard, uh, okay. though he introduced, uh, she introduces herself. Uh, so the captain leads you guys in and says, uh, this is Lisa. Um, and, uh, in there is, uh, is my co-pilot Pierre, uh, and, uh, Pierre gives you guys a wave. Uh, thank you so much for choosing Jackalope Aviation. Uh, please, please, uh, uh let me take your coats for you. My dear, uh, could we trouble you for some coffee? It is rather early in the morning. Uh, of course. Uh, Lisa, please. And uh, Lisa nods and heads uh, to the back room where the stewardesses go to make stuff um, and where the bathrooms are, incidentally. There's uh, eight seats, very, like, you know, spacious uh, with, like, pull-down tables, you know, reclining seats um, and, like, drop-down screens if you want. Um, and she goes... Uh, uh, Lisa and Naomi should be able to attend to whatever ne- needs you have. Uh, make yourself at home. Uh, I'm just going to finish up the pre-check, uh, the pre-flight check with uh, Pierre, and uh, we'll be on our way. Say, Captain, I've never been on a plane before. May if I look into the cockpit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna eyeball Boomer. <laughs> uh, I'm so very curious. Boomer, I'm going to need you to roll con for me. I don't even know if it's worth pre-edging. It's so it's, I think it's your only chance. Are you pre-edging this? <laughs> I'm going to assume that's a yes. <laughs> no, I pre-edged. I'm not done yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Would you believe me if I told you I had seven hits? <laughs> oh, man. 
so so Boomer says this, and you all look at him like, "What are you doing?" Uh, Bumbles, you send Mouse a text saying he's lying. Uh, <laughs> the rest of you see Boomer say this with like uh, a like smile on his face, showing his like orcish like tusks. And uh, Captain Morton <laughs> like raises her eyebrows and puts her hand on her chest and goes, "Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> that's." That's of course not not going to be a problem at all, uh, Mister Smith. Yes, uh, here I'll show you the I'll show you the pilot. Uh, I'll show you the cockpit. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've been so curious. Uh, and uh, and sh- as she's leading Boomer into the uh, cockpit, she's like, "Now it's important that you don't touch anything." <laughs> oh, I wouldn't dream of it. Uh, and uh, so yeah, uh, and. For you, Bumbles, you're letting uh, Naomi try to open your car for you? Yeah, they do that, right? I, I seem rich. I mean, yeah. if you stop, she probably does. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, so, yeah, um, she touches your uh, your car. Yes. And uh, there's a, a large crackle, uh, not a super loud, but a, a notable crackle of electricity as she gets uh, shocked and let's see how she fares against that. Her hand uh, holds onto it for a second as she shakes, and then she gets like kind of thrown back by the energy of it and just like falls down in the mud, unconscious. Cool. Over the DNI, I assume you all see this. Yep. And I said, you might want to do your thing soon. I do a wheeled narcoject, and then I stick both of them. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I'm not going to make you roll for it. They're not expecting it. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Captain Morton is Seem like uh, really nice people. Sorry. <laughs> uh, gesturing up to the, uh, all of the dials and switches, uh, above you. Um, she turns her back to point at some of them and you hit her in the neck and Pierre in the neck at the same time. And both of them are, uh, hit with narco jet and go down. Um, sorry. Oh, goodness. You seem so nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I say as I uh, put the restraints on him. While Boomer is doing that, I'd like to pull out a trank patch and head towards the the coffee room. The Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, you walk by you walk by the bathrooms and into the little back room where the uh, uh, where Lisa is currently uh, pouring a cup of coffee. Uh, she turns and she goes, how do you take it? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that light roast or dark roast? Oh, it's... And she turns to... Uh, Hit her with the trank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she turns to read the uh, uh, the container and you just hit the trank patch on her and she doesn't she doesn't immediately notice. She like kind of looks and is like, why are you touching me? And then she looks down and she's like, uh... <laughs> and falls over. Can I matrix perceive for a host? Uh, yeah. You don't have to matrix perception. Uh, there, there is like a, a like guest host on this uh on this plane uh for um the passengers to connect to the matrix oh i assume that there's like cameras and i would really like it to not be on those cameras uh yeah you 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 assume that whatever guest host is not the one that controls the cameras you're it's probably a wired connection on the cameras but you're on the plane and there's many things you can tap into to get access to them uh, but jacking into the plane, you do see that there's another another host, and also you know that there's there's cameras in the cockpit. You can just see them. Oh, okay. But 
with enough time, given the fact that you guys are about to fly, you can, without, without making you roll, you can easily, like, work your way into that host and wipe those cameras. I do that. All right. What do you guys do? Uh, I finally do dropped you, that Yankee you, bullshit. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with uh, the uh, crew? What uh, size are they in relation to us? Like, if we tried to take their clothes, besides Naomi, who fell in the mud. So, Lisa was an elf and relatively similar size to you, Nim. So, that's a, that's a relatively e- easy uh, switch. Um, Pierre was uh, kind of tall and slender um, and would probably fit on Bumbles. Uh, Captain Morton and Naomi are both uh, taller than Mouse, um, so not really able to fit Mouse very well. Uh, and that that's it. There's not another guy for Boomer. <laughs> it's all right. I dress nice just in case. How hard would it be to alter Captain Morton's clothes um, without magic, just by hand, for Mouse? <laughs> I guess actually, given the time, you you might be able to you might be able to set Mouse up with Captain Morton's clothes. Okay, so I'd like to take uh, Lisa's clothes uh, and kind of motion to Bumbles to to take Pierre's clothes. Right. Yeah. Um, Boomer, I don't own handcuffs. Can you come drag this poor woman out of the mud and cold and rain and then handcuff her? That sounds terrible. <laughs> All right. I'm going to steal Pierre's clothes now. <laughs> She's in the mud. Bumbles is my best suit. It's going to take me a long time to drag her here. All right. I'll do it. (laughs) And I very, very carefully remove her from the mud. Careful not to get it on my suit. This is a very nice suit. And I uh, bring her back to the plane. Uh, Roll either palming or just a straight agility test for me. Five. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you get her into the plane, you set her down and then, uh, you step back and you check your suit and you're like pretty happy. I mean, obviously your shoes are a little muddy, but they were muddy before just given the weather. Uh, and then, uh, you're like, yeah. And, um, then you, uh, let out a sigh of relief and go to button your, uh, your jacket and your, um, uh, you realize there's a little bit of mud on the bottom of your right sleeve and it smears on the front of your jacket just slightly. It's not a whole lot of mud, but there's a bit of a splatter. Sacrifices we make in this line of work. <laughs> um, I would like to take whatever captain's insignia there are on Morton's uniform and give them to Bumbles as well to put on, on Pierre's. I have taken them already. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and, uh, what are we doing for, is Boomer just wearing his suit or? When he gets back to the plane, I'd like to cast fashion on him. Sure. Go for it. I will edge that. Okay. That's three hits. You, uh, managed to recut his suit into more of a uniform shape. Um, and you get the colors right. Uh, but a lot of like the, like, you're not able to really get any of like the patches or anything like that. Um, they're just kind of like not there. That's like the best you were able to achieve with that casting. Can I take the patches that Bumble's discarded from Pierre's? Yeah. And put them on? You can, you can sew them onto Boomer's suit. Yeah. Great. I will do that. And I will resist drain. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, Boomer, you step on, you, you, you're all upset about your, uh, your suit being muddy. And then, uh, you turn and Nim just like waves her fingers at you. And all of a sudden your suit starts cutting and reforming itself around you, uh, into the shape of a pilot's uniform. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, making you a disguise. It's going to turn back, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yes, it'll be fine. This is my favorite suit, and it's already had a rough day. <laughs> uh, I take one drain. Okay. Uh, and uh, you guys uh, get ready to leave? Yeah, all the drones come on. I get in the pilot's chair, do pre-flight checks, you know, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Bumbles, go ahead and roll pilot aircraft for me. That's five hits. Uh, yeah. Uh, despite the weather, um, you have a smooth... Uh, takeoff, um, making it easy to, for Nim to uh, continue her work stitching uh, and hemming um, Captain Morton's uh, uniform to fit Mouse. Um, also, uh, uh, as you guys like take off into the air and start circling back around, um, Nim, you are able to sew those patches onto Boomer's uh, suit uniform, uh, probably with a little bit of struggle from Boomer. Hey, Mouse, do you think you could make these uh, these pass cards match up to what we currently look like? Oh. That isn't particularly within your skill set. Like, they don't have photos on them or anything. They're basically key cards. Yeah. Um, and while you might be able to change some of the information on that key card, doing so would probably make it so it wouldn't be work anymore for what it's supposed to do. Um, you, uh, uh, especially because there's a linked retinal scan in the database at SeaTac to open each door. I'm going to also touch Captain Morton during the flight. <laughs> on the hand, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on, on the arm. Yeah. Uh, are you going to become her? Or do you want to just take her retinal and, and DNA? Uh, I'm going to, to just take her retinal and DNA. Okay, cool. So, uh, if anyone looks a little bit closely, they notice that, um, Nim's eyes have changed. Uh, they are, uh, now a blue color to match, uh, Morton's. Uh, yeah, uh, Bumbles, um, you have a scheduled arrival time at the Seattle Tacoma airport, uh, in two hours. We're not that far away, are we? No. You're just going to want to fly around for a while. <laughs> All right. What am I... How nice is this plane? It's, you know, standard commercial, like, private jet. Um, nothing too crazy. More luxury than anything else. Cool. I fly casual. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to need you to basically roll electronic warfare. Um, because, uh, flying casual is less about being visually seen and more about not being like picked up as like an air, an unauthorized aircraft in any specific airspace. This sounds like sensor operations. Yes. Yes. Good. I've specialized in that. And mouse, you can assist if you want. Okay. Five hits. Cool. Uh, yeah. You uh, fly casually for a while, and uh, you don't get any. You don't get hailed by any like, you know, corporate patrols or any uh, any air towers in the area. Like 
picking you up on their sensors as an unidentified aircraft. You just coast. And if you look to your left, you'll see that forest we passed ten minutes ago. I am just turning right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, you fly around for a while, and then uh, you can uh, you can go to SeaTac whenever you want and show up during your arrival time. I go there. Cool. Um, so, uh, there's, um, you're, you're pulling up, uh, and you get into the airspace and you get hailed on the, uh, uh, on the comms. Um, they call out your, uh, tail number and, uh, uh, they say, identify yourself. I give them back my tail number. Presumably there's a flight log in this ship, yeah? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have, like, you have all the information you need there. Right. Uh, uh, copy CTAC. This is uh, JAUN333PC in for landing. Uh, copy that, JAUN333PC. Uh, you are clear to land on track eight. Copy that. Uh, roll etiquette for me. Any bonuses for this being plain stuff? No, and uh, I don't think your glamour affects this either because they are not in your presence. Not even my voice, which is so silky smooth. <laughs> <laughs> can I help tell Bumbles what to say at all? Uh, yeah, you can assist. Great. You can coach him a bit. That's four hits. Uh, I got three hits total. Uh, yeah, and they, they go, uh, you know, they say, copy that, uh, land on uh, uh, strip 8 and proceed to gate C uh, to unload your passengers. I do that. Uh, cool. I'm going to need you to roll pilot aircraft one more time to land this bird nice and smooth. About six hits. Yeah. Uh, you, again, you know, it's the rain is still coming down. Same, just like constant pour. Um, but nothing too crazy, not really high winds, and you are able to land nice and smooth uh, on the uh, uh, on the tarmac, and you can taxi yourself to Gate C. I do. I taxi casually. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and you guys can park there. Um, uh, you're given basically like a, you know. Like unload your passengers and then and then you can like go uh go in check in and in the uh, administrative level. All right, quick team conference. It seems like they are expecting someone to get off this plane. <laughs> that was it. All right, switch me back. Can you clean me up too? Uh, sure, sure. All right. The only talking I'll do is in Japanese to you guys, who all happened. Speak Japanese. It's probably why you got hired because you're very smart and very qualified individuals. Uh, yeah, Nim, if you want to uh, turn Boomer's uh, uh, uniform back into his suit, you can. You will have to unstitch the patches. Yeah, I can. Already working on it. <laughs> I can unstitch the patches. Um, but yeah, pull out my seam ripper. You'll have to cast fashion to re reset it because it's a permanent spell. What? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it I paid a lot sense. of money for this suit. Look, when they get it back, it'll be new. It won't have mud on it, okay? What force are you casting it at? I'm going to cast that at force five. Okay. 
Four hits. Uh, yeah, with that, you get it uh, back to exactly how it looked before. Without the mud. Without the mud. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. I'll resist drain on that. <laughs> yeah, resist all the drain. <laughs> okay, cool. So no headache from this uh, from this casting of fashion. Uh, and Boomer, your suit is back and looking good. Well, of course it's looking good. I'm wearing it. <laughs> I put my other fancy hat back on. So as you get to the gate, you can kind of like park in your little like private jet sector uh, and you can uh, uh, unload and uh, move your way towards the uh, the building. And given given the information that you guys have about how ta- how uh, uh, like transport is supposed to work on the lower levels, like Boomer knows where he's supposed to go. He's like supposed to move directly into the like the public areas down there, and you guys can either escort him all the way, um, or like you can let him get in and find his own way, and then you can go uh, uh, into the administrator access. Right. Well, we need retinals for everything. Restricted, right? Yes. And Nim's the only one who can do that. But one re- one retinal could open the door. Yeah. Oh. And then we can all go through. We can hold the door open. So the way that doors work. No. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like a place where they might shoot you for slipping in a door behind someone. <laughs> but if you all think it's fine, I agree. <laughs> Boomer, why don't you... You seem most capable of finding your way into somewhere you're not allowed on your own. <laughs> Yeah, that's my job. I'll meet up with you. Uh, cool. So you guys walk with Boomer a little bit um, underneath the like underneath the overhanging gate, um, and there's a doors there that you can like uh, with with Nim's key card and retinal scan. You can open up that door for Boomer, uh, and uh, then Boomer, you basically can walk through like a private hallway to a door that connects you to the general population as they are moving towards their baggage claim and stuff like that. Um, and you guys, there's, um, uh, there's another hallway you can go down, uh, where you can get access to the administrator level. We'll head down that hallway. And, uh, you definitely notice cameras as you're doing this. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'll smile and wave at Boomer as he leaves. Cool. Yeah. Roll a roll con. See if you can make a good performance for, for whoever might watch this. (laughs) Seven hits. Okay, yeah, you you make a very convincing de- uh, departure from uh, uh, <laughs> with Boomer. You say goodbye to him. He seems happy, satisfied with his flight, <laughs> and then uh, he he walks through the door into the general population. You guys can uh, approach the door with the key card and the retinal scan. We do. You're up, Nim. I will uh, swipe the key card and and do the scan. Cool. Um, uh, you have a rating six uh, retinal duplication, so go ahead and uh, roll 12 dice. Four hits. Okay. You get up to the uh, uh, to the scanner. You swipe it. You lean in. The light shines in your eye, and it goes, uh, Welcome, Captain Morton. And uh, you hear the uh, maglock un- unseal, and you can enter. Great. We'll head in. And uh, yeah, you get in the uh, the lighting in here is a little bit like uh, dimmer, and also um, uh, as soon as you get in and shut the door, um, all of your wireless devices uh, lose matrix signal, um, and uh, you guys lose your connection to Boomer. 
<laughs> um, and uh, uh, immediately, like, like it goes from being like kind of like a homey, like you know, well lit uh, airport. As soon as you walk in, it's a little bit dimmer and like very, very industrial. Like the inside of this place, uh, like uh, there's like metal tiles for the flooring, um, uh, track lighting along the tops of each hallway. Um, and, um, yeah. What do you guys do? We'll head towards the crew break room. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, down the hallway. Basically like you were at a, at like a three-way fork. Um, and, uh, the one to your right kind of ends in a, a, a big metal door with a red light above it. Um, and then, um, the one straight ahead, uh, you can see like down the hall a little ways. It kind of curves out of sight, but like the parts that you can see, like you see that the, the, like the metal walls on the left side of that hallway give way to, uh, glass walls. Um, and, uh, you see a couple people like step out of there and step into there and like, they're all wearing like security gear. Um, and then to your left, you know, that's the way to the, uh, to the recreation and, you know, you head down that way <clears throat> and, uh, you, uh, you get in there and you see some people, uh, you see one other flight crew, um, kind of sitting there talking, um, getting some coffee and some donuts. Uh, I'd like to do a sense. Sure. Go ahead and a sense. Uh, and also everyone roll etiquette for me. Uh, Boomer, what are you doing? Well, Boomer is thinking about how. Is originally quick thinking to make sure that it was a convincing air crew with passenger turned out to leave him stranded. <laughs> uh, so Boomer's going to look like a confused tourist and uh, kind of see where he can break into. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, roll stealth at a minus two for me. So, so I don't know if I want to use an edge quite yet. So I, I think three is okay. So Boomer, um, you step out, you look around, um, you, uh, immediately are able to see like general security walking around. Um, they're very obviously wearing, uh, like, uh, security body armor. Um, they're armed with, uh, submachine guns, uh, and, uh, stun batons on their, on their hip. Um, and you see them just like patrolling. There's a bunch, just tons, like assume an unlimited number. <laughs> um, and, uh, as you see them like patrolling and checking stuff, uh, you also see, uh, at least in this hallway you're in right now, three different roto drones just kind of, uh, flying slowly and, uh, slowly above like all of the crowd. And they like seem to be on like an automated like rotation, and uh, you also mark some cameras around you. Um, and, uh, you know, you guys did show up in rush hour, so there's just tons of hustle and bustle, punch people, like, moving through uh, these hallways onto, like, moving walkways, trying to get to where their baggage claim is or their connecting flight. Um, and, Boomer, you try to use that... Uh, you try to use that to your advantage. Um, and uh, everywhere you go... Anywhere that you would use as a point of ingress to the administrator level, uh, you can't approach stealthily. What about uh, fire alarm panels? You don't see any manual uh, fire alarm 
systems for you to mess with. There's like by some of the security places, which are heavily guarded, uh, there are like um, like wall panels that like possibly could engage a fire alarm. But in order to reach those, you would have to sneak by like the guard or the drones or the cameras that are like very heavily monitoring those doors. Uh, meanwhile, um, Nim, what'd you get on your sensing? I got six hits. Cool. Two of the people in this room are awakened, and many of them have cyberware. Are you looking for anything in particular? Yeah. Uh, I mean, is there any indication of spirits, or are there any, you know, mage barriers, mana barriers? As you're walking through uh, the hallway and getting into the uh, break room, uh, you don't you don't see any spirits floating around in astral or anything like that. Um, nor do you see any mana barriers that are like blocking what you would normally be able to access. There's probably mana barriers within these walls, Mm -hmm. but you know, that doesn't really affect you because you can't go through walls anyways. (laughs) So yeah. Uh, uh, and then two of the people in this, uh, in this room are awakened. The other three are not, um, they're all just chatting. Um, you have the highest magic rating in the room. Uh, and, um, yeah, they have, some of them have some cyberware, some of them don't. The awakened people do not. Uh, and their general mood is very, very casual. They're just hanging out, talking, uh, you know, tired. Um, uh, like their workday is just beginning. Um, and I need, a- everyone did roll etiquette. Uh, and what did everyone get on their etiquette, uh, Mouse? Five. Cool. Uh, Bumbles? I got four. Cool. Uh, and uh, Nim? Four hits. Yeah, with four hits, uh, all you guys, you know, you don't really draw that much attention. Uh, the captain marks Bumbles and kind of gives him like a nod. I nod back. And uh, uh, they like, you know, kind of raise, uh, they all like raise their coffees to you guys like, hey, you know, and then like they kind of move out of the way so you guys can get to the coffee and donuts. Great. I take a donut. <laughs> uh, what's your guys' plan? Is there any, th- there's a camera in this room, right? Yes, there's cameras all over the place. I mean, like, can how many cameras do I see in this break room? Uh, you see two obvious cameras. All of the people in the break room are dressed like flight staff. None of them are dressed differently, correct? Uh, yes, they are all wearing uh, uniforms right now. None of them are tarmac crew. Is there, like, any infrastructure other than, like, the toaster and the refrigerator that might be connected to private host? Uh, yeah, there there were um, wall panels in the hallway you were walking through, and there's uh, one that looks similar to it inside this room as well. Um, kind of that same thing where it's like probably each room like has some sort of access for the security to like wi- use some of the wired systems. Okay. Is, is there a toaster? Uh, yes. There's okay. a little kitchenette. Cool. I'm going to go put some toast in the toaster and turn it all the way up. <laughs> okay. Are you trying to make it so you catch this toast on fire? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I need some hardware for you just to tamper with it just enough that it doesn't just like just make burnt toast. Actually, I'm not even concerned about the hardware. I need you to roll. Uh, let's roll stealth just to make it so no one notices what you're doing. Well, we're a team. We can make a distraction. I've distracted a room of people while Mouse has done some hinky stuff with a machine before. Nim's probably better at it than me. So (laughs) it worked out fine the first time. Surely it will work out fine this time. Sure. 
What do you guys do? I'll I'll grab some coffee and and sit down next to um, one of the other flight attendants. Uh huh. And and be like, oh man, we we just got in. When are you, are you guys due out soon? Did you just come in? Yeah, um, you already rolled etiquette, so uh, she engages you in conversation. She's like, yeah, uh, we're heading out on eleven hundred, um, and uh, we're gonna go to Japan, come back, go to Japan, come back. Basically, just you know, taxing CEOs. Um, what airline are you with? We're with Jackalope Aviation Unlimited. Oh, oh! You have anyone interesting on your flights? Uh, any, uh, any cool like execs? Uh, <sighs> yeah, I, I wish I could talk about it, but you know how they are. Right, right. You know, pri- privileged, uh, privileged information. I understand. Um, uh, I'm Clara, and she reaches out a hand. Hi, I'm Lisa. It's uh, probably on my uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys shake hands. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're chatting with her. B- uh, Bumbles, you doing anything or? I assume Nim has sat down in such a way that in order for people to look at her and converse with her, they look away from the toaster. Probably. Yeah. Assumed competency. Right. Um, the, so there's like pilots and stuff at another table uh yeah so um uh three flight staff sat down nim is with them and then uh a pilot and a co-pilot are sitting uh sitting at a table all right yeah i basically do the same thing as nim and sit down and talk to them sure sure Uh, they introduce themselves they ask you uh more about what kind of bird you're flying I tell them because I know. Yeah. <laughs> you you start going down the specs <laughs> of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it didn't really handle the chop too well, but, you know, it's not that bad of a storm. And so. they're, like, they're like, yeah, yeah. And they start telling you stories about, like, one time when, like, they wanted to, like, disembark, but, like, the corp made them keep going and, like, not, like... Uh, like take an emergency landing during like a horrible storm right it's fucking crazy right yeah you know it's just no safety is the secondary to their concerns what time is it right now uh it's like ten thirty in the morning okay they said they're headed out at 1100 yeah so they would be leaving fairly soon yep. if they have to prep the plane mm-hmm. i'll i'll shoot a message to mouse saying hey it looks like they're gonna be heading out soon oh i was more worried about the person watching the cameras than what like the people in this room fair enough because i need to get into that panel (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so uh usually boomer would do that (laughs) so mouse uh go ahead and roll a stealth test for me uh yeah can i make it like short circuit and like make it look do i know enough to make it look like it will short circuit and then catch on fire i'm not having you roll a hardware test i'm assuming you can you can achieve whatever goal you want with this rudimentary piece of hardware um this is more i'm having you roll stealth specifically to make sure that no one notices you tampering with it before it goes up in flames okay four you uh you go up uh the flight crew seems pretty distracted talking to uh bumbles and nim uh and you manage to like damage a coil in the uh toaster so that it will like short circuit and bust up um i assume you walk away from it before it does yeah Sure. And uh, about 45 seconds after you do that, all of a sudden there's a loud pop of, uh, of electricity and uh, the toast in the toaster uh, goes up in flames. Uh, and there's like just like a, a small but, you know, disconcerting column of fire pouring up out of the uh, out of the uh, uh, toaster. And uh, the flight staff immediately like jumps the captain's spring into action to like grab some coffee to try and like put it out. Uh, uh, you guys, I assume, uh, jump into action as well. I look like I'm helping. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, all of them are, are rushing around trying to do that. Um, uh, and uh, someone uh, does yell, uh, "Call security! Call security!" and points at the uh, at the yeah, access panel. I do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll run over and open it. So to call security, you you as soon as you get it and like press a button, your little AR interface pops up, like being like, you know, uh, you scan your card basically, and it's immediately like, you know, uh, this is like. Your options as as flight crew. Do you need to like contact the tower? Do you need to contact security? Like, is there an emergency? These things. Like, you don't really have that much control. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you, while also being like security, like fire alarm button, mm-hmm. uh, you are able to uh, pop it open and stick a data tap on there and close it. Tink. <laughs> oh wait, boop boop boop. They're on their way. I think. <laughs> uh, they are, and uh, uh, as uh, as the the cabinet above the uh <laughs> the cabinet mean it to be that big uh the cabinet above the toaster um uh is being heavily scorched but not catching fire because it's not made out of wood uh, <laughs> um it's like uh starting to like warp it's probably some sort of like plasteel um and uh security team runs in uh with a fire extinguisher and uh puts it out and uh, they start asking, like, what happened? And everyone's like, I don't know. This is just who, who made toast? Who made toast? Who was that? I don't know. It just kind of went up in flames. It was crazy. Ah. Uh, Boomer, what, what's going on with you? <sighs> okay. All right. So uh, in the short time I'm looking around, anything changes? Perhaps in relation to a toaster fire I'm not aware of? <laughs> Roll perception for me. <laughs> I got a one. Uh, nothing seems to change. You're walking around. Um, what what you do notice with a one uh, is that if you're not making your way towards the exit, you're starting to get some looks from security. Is there a bunch of people around? Yeah, there there's there's a crowd. Like there's tons of hustle and bustle going around you. It's just like there's a sea of people all more or less heading the same direction. Is there an ingress point nearby? With uh, security standing by it? Yes. Oh, fuck. I'm going to knock eject a random person. <laughs> You're going to, like, stealthily stick someone in the leg with narcojet? Yep. Okay. Um, well, you can definitely achieve that. Let's see. Uh, roll palming for me to see if, uh, if anyone notices you um, doing it. Okay. I got three. So uh, you're walking around in the crowd. You mark a person, and uh, you you know bump up against them as like everyone's like shifting and, and like moving down their different lanes of traffic. And uh, you make sure to stick him uh, so that when he falls, he'll he'll have like a you know sight line to um, to the security guard there at that terminal. Um, and yeah, you you get him in the leg. And, uh, and he, uh, the guy you stick, like, is like, ah, what the, <laughs> and, uh, uh, falls over and then someone screams is like, ah, help, help someone over here. You've already like, you know, slipped your way down the crowd. Like you didn't notice. Um, there's some shouting going on and that security guard does abandon his post to run up and, uh, check exactly what's going on. Ingress. Where can I get in? Well, there's a door that he walked away from, um, there's still the rotation of drones and cameras. Um, so you're going to have to move quickly, 
before he can draw attention to that area from the wider security personnel. Um, so go ahead and roll a sneaking test at a minus three. Four. So you get up to the door. Now you need to bypass the door. No one seems to shout at you as you do, and you don't know whether or not you've been spotted on camera, but your next hurdle is getting through that door. What kind of door? Wait, you have a thing. You have a key card. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, wait, it requires a retinal scan. Can I use my locksmith and get through it? Yeah, but you don't have, a, you don't have the tools to help you with it, so you're going to have to pop open the retinal scan and, and like hardwire it. Uh, so, yeah, roll locksmithing for me. Six. All right. Uh, you scan the key card, but right before you do, you you know pop open the uh, uh, retinal scan and like use like a tool really quickly to like jab in and like heat up one of the wires, and that makes it like kind of like spark as you're scanning the uh, uh, the key card, and it goes ding. What? What? Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the door uh, very briefly unlocks and you're able to open it and as you're opening it you hear the lock re-engage um and you make it through um slamming the panel shut and you still don't know if you've been spotted on the cameras or not but hello you guys hear boomer over dni hey boomer we're great at this (laughs) i start getting to work on trying Um, to get into the system now sure um Nim and or Bumbles, I'm going to need you guys to either teamwork test or one of you take this, but you like everyone's being questioned like as as a whole, the room is being questioned. And if your flight crew is completely quiet, you you both are smart enough to know that like that would be suspicious. So someone someone should talk just to be like, we don't know, like they're not like grilling people, but I need a con roll basically. Right. It seems like we should both talk so they don't ask Mouse anything. Yeah, we can both talk. Sure. Uh, so one of you be the primary and the other one teamwork test. I'll take the primary. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Today I was fucking great at con. You can add six hits to that. You can roll <laughs> six more dice. Yeah. You roll six more dice if you have a rating of six in your uh, in your skill. How many hits did you get in him? Seven hits. Okay, yeah, so the security guard, like, you know, they're asking the group as a whole, but they do turn generally in your guys' direction, uh, being like, what happened here? You know, uh, Naomi was just trying to make some toast, and I don't know what kind of equipment you've got here, but it started sparking, and then now it's melting the the cabinet. Uh, They look back, and and, uh, they're like, we're going to have to uh, issue a report. Um, They, like, say that to each other, and one of them, like, nods, and... uh, uh, goes and like goes to the panel that you that you were at mouse and he starts like pumping in some stuff and they're like uh, we're very sorry uh, I guess toasts off the menu for today whatever <laughs> we almost died <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other like pilots laugh at that <laughs> um, and uh, yeah they all take it as a joke that you said <laughs> and they, they all like laugh and then like breaks the ice and uh, uh, the security guards uh, you know the one at the terminal like finishes his report and they're like oh, if you need anything else uh, uh, you can contact us um, sorry again and then they they head out uh, with the damaged toaster. <laughs> um, and with that, we're going to end uh, the session. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved.
The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by the Tops Company Incorporated. Shadowrun is a trademark of the Tops Company Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go to www.shadowruntabletop.com for more information.